Hello everyone, my name is Matt and you are listening to On The Rocks and today we have with us again the dynamic duo Robbie and Colin. I'll let you decide at home which one is Batman and which one is Robin. Hello Colin. <laughs> Hello Matt. Hello Robin. Hello. Hey everyone. We also have Oreo with us. You've probably heard him before barking at the cat but as we're not at the studio all you'll hear now is um is his little feet running around and occasionally him begging for biscuits that have been baked to fortify the bodies of Colin and Robbie and myself while we talk about imperfect body. Why imperfect body, Robbie? Because we talked about what this episode might be called. Why imperfect body? Imperfect. First of all, of course, we need to understand what perfection is. I think it's just the human mind these days has a concept, sometimes a misunderstanding about what perfection is. And our mind is really programmed to criticize, to compare, to judge, to see, you can say, imperfections rather than focusing on the positive aspects of the body. So I think we've spent too much time on focusing on what's imperfect. So we just wanted to address that maybe today, how we can deal with these maybe beliefs, these ideas about perfection and that quest for perfect body through yoga. Colin, it's not such a bad concept and maybe a better concept than perfect body, which is probably why we chose it, because all of our bodies, even the most aesthetically pleasing of us, all of our bodies are imperfect, right? And what will happen to them at some point? What will happen to our bodies? They will, they will decay. We will age. And yeah. the more it goes, the more between, like, a quote, they will becoming more and more imperfect because yeah. we will develop, like, a just age problems, yep. difficulties. You're avoiding saying we're going to die. <laughs> and we'll die, ultimately, but that's, yeah. Um, so that's a kind of imperfection in that if we, you know, these bodies are not, cannot be perfect, because presumably a perfect body would, would exist forever. So... So examining and already accepting imperfect bodies by calling this program imperfect body, I think is is um, is is a good way to look at it. We are not going to talk about body image and so on because that's not our area of expertise, or if we don't want to use the word expertise, um, even understanding. But we are going to focus on what yoga says about the body. And from my perspective, I think yoga says kind of gives not a mixed message, but there there are two very strong messages from yoga about the body, which might look conflicting. So one is to say that the body isn't important and that the body is a vessel simply for the self. And that also in the the sutras, I think, where if we understood the body more than we would be disgusted by it because it is so imperfect and perhaps not a great vehicle for the self. So there's that kind of negative image of the body on one side. And then on the other side, there is this focus on the body as something that should be mastered and purified and kept like a temple because it is 
it is the vehicle for ourself with a capital S. Have I understood that really well, Robbie? Or do you think there's a third, you know, is there a third aspect to what yoga says about the body, given what you know about Ayurveda and things like that? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a nice and simplified um, description of, of, of these approaches. And of course, you know, we can't really say that you need to, you need to follow this, uh, this school of philosophy about the body or the physical body. I think it's great to, to look at different schools, to read different um, scriptures and find your own sort of, or create your own understanding about the physical body. But what you said, I think it's super important to know that without having a, a healthy physical body, a healthy vehicle, we can't really travel through life gracefully, happily. So we need to spend time on understanding how the body functions, what it needs, how we can nurture it, how we can feed it, and also understand what are those factors that can take the body out of balance. And for that, yoga and Ayurveda are really helpful just to, to really study all these challenges. We can say risk factors, diet, nutrition, lifestyle, basically everything that, that we do on a daily basis will affect the body. What you put in your body will affect your mind and that will affect the way you see the world. Mm -hmm. It will color your perception. A healthy body sounds like it is a concept that we can that we can all understand and understand what it might mean, but presumably that differs from person to person, right? Because people with physical disabilities or, or other disabilities or different abilities, having a healthy body is going to be different from one person to another, right? I think not only that. I do believe that we're all different. We all have different needs. And I think more and more, at least in the past, I feel that we've understood what having a healthy body is, or as you mentioned also, just an aesthetically pleasing body was. And it evolved through time, through history. It was not the same 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And the more we, we advance, the more science is there to some, somehow study that, I think we realize that we might have all different needs to reach what's healthy for, for ourselves. I mean, like if we think of numbers of hours of sleep, for example, which for a very long time we estimated it was like a minimum eight hours for everyone. Mm -hmm. The more it goes, the more the study goes. I think it shows now that some people will need four, some people will need 12, and a lot of people will need around eight. Same goes with what we eat, what we need. And I think it's it's important also. And to me, that's one of the quality of yoga. One of the, also the goal, at least personally of yoga, is to understand better our needs, understand ourselves better, not only physically, but also mentally, but the physical aspects, since we talk about bodies today, it really helped me to feel better and to understood better in that sense also. Ruby, or you talked uh, a little bit about Ayurveda, and Ayurveda is a great concept to to try to customize the the need that we have to try to in terms of food, in, in terms of uh, exercises, mm -hmm. and and it's, since it's a global concept, I think it really helps to to adjust that too. So Swadhyaya, which you know 
you both know I love, um, which is uh, study of the self, but also studying the scriptures. So Swadhyaya, I guess, can also apply to the body as well as the mind and the personality complex and understanding the self, right? One thing I admire when I go to the studio and take a class is I'm reminded not to compete with everybody else, which I unfortunately do need to be reminded of. <laughs> and then also not to compete with myself and also to understand that what the body could do yesterday, it might not be able to do today, which when I w was trying too hard in classes, I didn't understand. But now I kind of do understand because in my personal practice, I know that I can do one physical thing one day and, and not do it the next day. And I've done like, there's nothing conceptual that I've done to change that. It's just that the that's the way the body functions. Yoga also tells us that learning to control the body will also help us learn to control the mind. Has that been your experience, Robbie? For sure, it helped me a lot, especially when I was really focused on the very physical yoga, you could say Hatha Yoga, and also within that, um, let's say, tradition, Iyengar Yoga, or, or some of the, the styles that really emphasize the so-called alignment or connection with tiny, tiny body parts. So, of course, it's, it's, it's great to connect with little pieces like your pinky fingers, the skin of your inner thighs, and, and all these things, it's great because it helps you to pay attention. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's all that. You, you learn how to pay attention. And by paying attention, you can be in that present moment. And of course, by paying attention, by training the mind to be present, you begin to calm the mind. You're not in the past, you're not in the future, you're there. And if, if you can maintain that attention for extended period of time, you also notice that it's going to be easier to sit, meditate, reflect, do more of an inner practice, not necessarily the outer practice. So the outer practice, the physical practice, is just to, you could say, create preparation. You use the Yoga Sutras as reference. So according to the eight limbs of yoga, if you want to say that, and of course, you can always argue if you need to go step by step and are these really steps. But then there's always a bit of that connection that and the physical work helps you to prepare for the more subtle inner work, such as looking at the mind, the inner workings of the mind. So for that, the body, you can say, it's a great tool. It's, it also makes sense, I think. It's it's easier to start with what you can see and then after that to dig deeper than to start immediately to, with some abstract concept. The body can be used as a tool, like the breath can be also just to to have a, something you can look at, something you can physically feel rather than just uh, close your eyes and try to calm the mind. I, I mean, I love the idea of starting with something that you can see, Given how many people you've seen go in and out of the studio, I'm, I I know for myself that physically I'm I feel healthier and I can do more and I kind of I see an evolution in in my physical body the more I practice asana practice and starting on something that you can see and I think that that's that's a very good place to start and I guess also it's it's also a way that you can see that you're making progress right let's let's put sure. it that way yeah whereas when you concentrate and meditate that's it's well you can't see progress right you can feel it but eventually <laughs> yeah eventually 
just want to go back to go back to those with physical disabilities or things that we recognize as physical disabilities because we're all more or less able you can do yoga in a chair right yeah. and so again if we're talking about the imperfect body what are your thoughts or any experiences about working with people with disabilities on physical asana practice and maybe if you have something to say about meditation also yoga is really really big and, and, and there's so many techniques methods we can use to to address your needs to address your body yeah you just need to find the right teacher you need to find the right place and a lot of times if you have these um, special conditions maybe the group classes that some of the studios offer might not be the best one to start with because you might get this discouraged i mm -hmm. think it's always nice to find maybe a therapist or someone who is specialized in that area and in an ideal world you know i would i always say like yoga should be taught one-on-one -on -one because i see your body and i know what your body needs today as opposed to when you come to a group class you kind of get a menu right i mean you can choose a few options but in the end 70 percent everyone will eat the same food i think we've called it a buffet right we in 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 this podcast before we've <laughs> called it the the yoga buffet yeah and of course we're trying to 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 make it flexible by offering certain modifications but there's still i would say a limit how how flexible we can get in a group class so of course if you have special needs find a therapist find a teacher who is trained has a lot of experience and you can develop trust so that you can really address your needs and grow and then maybe one day you'll be ready to come to a group class and they have much more self-confidence to to be with others because you know how to adjust your body how to make the practice really work for you Maybe I just wanted to make a, a distinction because you talk about disabilities and I think it's important, at least to me, to make the difference between disabilities and we had some student in these in the context of a group class, which mm -hmm. we had blind people, we had deaf people, we had, I mean, like mute people that mm -hmm. not really affecting their practice, but obviously being blind or being deaf is going to affect the way you, you can attend a group class. And for those people, I think, as Ruby said, at some point, it's probably easier to to get at least a one-on-one -on -one with a teacher you can find some ease to communicating but with limitation i think in a group class we all have our limitations as you said and like the more you practice eventually the more you're going to get to know your body and what you can or can't do mm -hmm. or what how your body is built and what it allows or what doesn't and i think that can be worked within the context of a group class if we come back to this idea of self-awareness and uh, understanding better how we function i think that's something definitely can develop so you can work on our limitations our disability i think it's a different kind of work probably that you that you'll need in the context of yoga at least and, mm -hmm. and for that probably a one-on-one -on -one is the easiest after that and it can help you after that to to attend group classes because you'll understand better what to do or yeah there is a certain logic also most of the time in the way uh, a group class is uh, is built so it can help your practice also yeah and it can help you with your practice at home that you want to do every day and of course 
in the olden days, that's how yoga was taught, right? One-on-one, -on -one mm -hmm. always, um, guru, student. But there, there are some schools of yoga that um, really emphasize that. Uh, for example, Vina Yoga is really, it, it's, it's all about that. But again, it's more therapeutic style of yoga that really looks at the individual and the, the, the needs of the individual, not necessarily the idea of the teacher that you want to push through with your sequence, no matter what you see. There's always this constant dialogue. I might have some ideas, but I also need to see how you react to that. Yep. And then by looking at your body, looking at your face, reading maybe you could say the subtle body i have maybe the f a possibility to to change the direction of the class change the sequence and and there's that constant dialogue that you can do it in a group class but it's much more challenging because you have sometimes beginners sometimes yoga teachers in class sometimes dancers acrobats also have seniors really young people so that's that's a big challenge for a teacher to to create a sequence that is not let's let's say that not really harmful for anyone yep and i guess that's why there's a distinction in what you call the classes and who teaches them so that you have some idea of okay this is more acrobatic this is less acrobatic and exactly. um, you know the vinyasa is going to be different from yin mm. right and i also say like um, certain styles certain teachers lineages will will attract certain you can say body types you know when we can see like mm. vinyasa people tend to not always but you can see that some of the vinyasa practitioners will be this ashtangis will be this Iyengar folks will be this mm -hmm. whereas for example yin restorative folks will be maybe another constitution yeah and of course you always have, have exceptions i think that they can feed each other also at least the way I was taught in, now it helps me for the other styles to try to implement that also in more active practices. After that, it is true that you'll have, I agree, that you have some body types that are going to suit better the main, or well, some styles, but mm -hmm. overall you can try to use what you learn from one another and, and create. But I agree with Ruby that it's impossible to do a, a group class, which is going to be safe and easy for everyone, or at least yeah. accessible for everyone. It's almost impossible. Yeah. And that can be, yeah. And I think it's also the, the, the teacher. It's, it's such an important element in that group setting because uh, you look at the teacher's, not just body, because also st students are reading our you know, energy or subtle body. So I think they like to come to a teacher that there's something, sometimes that no, you can't even find words, but there's something that you can relate to something that that really resonates with you and some teachers of course will attract similar students might share similar ideas about life you've mentioned now twice the subtle body so this is a very this is a yogic concept we have our physical bodies and we have our subtle bodies are you able to give us an overview or an understanding of what the subtle body is in yoga yeah, of course. Um, subtle body again. It's 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 a very challenging field to even explore, understand with the human mind because we're trying to again use words, labels that are sort of physical or more bound to this physical plane, and we're trying to describe something which is more non-physical beyond the mind. And and then of course there are practices to to sense to feel that we have something something beyond this physical body. 
And in order to sense that, first of all, as, as, as you mentioned, we can start begin the work with the physical body to balance the physical body, to create a healthy vehicle so that we can also look at the other aspects of our existence because we're not only the physical body, we also have subtle body or bodies, depending again on which um, tradition you look at, because you could travel to India, to Tibet, to Asia, other parts of Asia, you can go to South America and they have different ideas about the subtle body. But what they all share that there's a non-physical energy field as also science proved that beyond the physical, there's basically just energy frequency and that frequency can change so we can move from this very dense physical universe to a very subtle non-physical universe. And again, depending on which fre frequency you look at, you're going to discover a brand new universe, reality, if you will. Let me fill in a couple of gaps there. So, so <laughs> some ideas of the subtle body that that our listeners will have heard of before chakras. Yeah. So, um, most people will know about the seven chakras. Those is, those are the main wheels of energy in different parts of the body that are part of the subtle body. Right. Chakras are more, I think, more like energetic centers, hubs, which are part of the subtle, subtle body. body. So I think they're just more like like channels or more like portals to receive information and also to give information. Yeah, so portals is a good one, or mm -hmm. centers, but the channels would be the nadis, right? The nadis are part of the subtle body that moves the energy around, mm -hmm. and depending on which tradition you want to talk about, they will tell you there's this many or that many. But what I would like to make a comparison to, you know, if you've ever had acupuncture or been to a really good massage therapist, then they will be, you know, they will point out where these nadis are. There are flows of energy up and down the body. Yeah. And that's usually where acupressure and acupuncture points go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by massaging your loved ones um or or being massaged that there are clearly you know these places that yeah. you touch and you go oh but it's mm -hmm. not a specific you know yeah so maybe I, to to sorry to interrupt to just to simplify maybe the understanding of the subtle body because reality is always mirrors let's say the the more subtle layers so the physical body in a way mirrors the the, the subtle layers so if you look at the physical body the bloodstream the veins, you know, the blood is traveling through our veins, through our physical body. So the same thing happens in the subtle body. You mentioned the word nadis channel. So basically yeah. the energy instead of blood, there's this life force. Sometimes we use the word prana that travels through these channels and they feed, you could say the energetic body. And where some of these nadis cross and they create a hub, sometimes we call that hub a chakra, a wheel, or a portal, where all the this energy is a bit point. more, exactly, yeah. where the energy is more concentrated. And then by stimulating these points, whether it's through acupuncture, acupressure, other subtle practices, we can affect the flow of prana or chi, and that in return will affect the physical body. Okay, so that's good. Now I think we have a very good idea of what the subtle body is. And I also hope that people will, 
you know, look at that, think about that with an open mind and remember mm -hmm. the times when they had a massage or they had acupressure or acupuncture yeah. and go, actually, there might be something to this subtle body thing. So mm -hmm. what is the, what is the point of the subtle body? Robbie's going to answer because he no, talked no, about No, no, I just wanted to body. maybe um, direct yeah. this conversation towards the, because previously, um, briefly, we talked about the, the kosha system, which just another model or another um, way of looking at the subtle body or the energetic body. Yeah, and so, some people like this model or this this basically concept to look at the bodies as um, layers, mm -hmm. different covers, different sheets. And it's a bit like wearing, you know, different layers of clothes. You're starting to remove these layers and then finally you get to the, you could say core. Yeah. And again, you know, there's no end how far you go, but again, it's a simplified version of looking at these more non-physical bodies. So the, the, the kosher system, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful way to, to look at, to examine, to study the energetic bodies. More than even the people that got a massage or gave a massage or whatsoever. It is just, I think we spontaneously sometimes start to touch, but like most of the time, most of the people, if you have a headache, you're going to massage your temple yourself. Right. And you have a lot of acupressure points, for example, there. You have, if you have a headache, you'll probably also press a little bit your, your, the top of your eye. Mm -hmm. Our bodies, our physical bodies also are kind of smart. And I think even though we don't necessarily believe in those kind of things, or that we don't necessarily know about it, I think spontaneously most of the time we'll we'll come back to it. We'll we'll yeah. find those points on our own even without realizing it. And I think that's even more than having somebody else touching you to realize that if you just think for a few moments about the moments in life when you when you try to touch yourself for a reason, just maybe just taking taking a hot bath, for example, just to relax is another way to to affect the entire body through through that also. Yeah. So Asana practice then also working to maintain um the upkeep of the subtle body as well as the physical body. Yeah, for sure. As yoga teaches us, there's no separation. So uh of course. So of course through the physical you can also make changes on a non-physical. And as Colin also put it, starting with the physical body we can already make um, great progress. And with time, you also begin to see that maybe your breathing habits will change or change the way you look at the world, your behaviors, your beliefs, all these things will change. Even the, you could say your values, how you value certain things in life, because it's through the, the that work, the physical and non-physical work, something is going to change, something is going to transform. And you begin to develop another layer that for, for many, many years, we're underdeveloped, it's like a muscle. If you don't work that muscle, it becomes weak. Yeah. By practicing, meditating, sitting down, doing a vinyasa flow, breathing, there's so many practices, you work, you develop, certain skills, abilities, powers, and layers, or you could say bodies. Yep. Let's take it back to a more fundamental aspect of how to take care of our bodies. And you mentioned this um, earlier, Robbie, and that's mm -hmm. what we what we put in our bodies. And for the moment, let's focus on nutrition. 
There are many, many religions and philosophies that have dietary guidelines. And when I think about it, I can't think of any religion, certainly, that doesn't have some kind of dietary guideline. You might think if you are a non-practicing Protestant Christian or a non-practicing Catholic Christian that you don't have any of those, but actually you do. It's just they're not in practice. So, you know, not eating meat on a Friday or um, not eating other things during Lent. Um, etc. They they're all there, and um, the obvious ones in the modern world um, come from the Jewish people and the Muslim people. Interdictions about what kind of food you can eat and what you can eat together. And certainly, I came from a tradition where you know I grew up not drinking alcohol, not drinking coffee or tea, eating very little meat, etc. So, philosophy and religion has a lot to say about what you put in your body, how you um, how you maintain it um, nutritionally. Can you give us a broad outline as to what yoga says about nutrition? Probably the, the correct answer would be, it depends which school, <laughs> which tradition <laughs> you look at. But to me, it was always Ayurveda that gave probably the smartest answer to that. As Colin also put it, we all have unique bodies, unique constitutions. So mm -hmm. I can't really say that we all have to eat this because something that feeds my body might be toxic for you. So of course, it takes time to figure it out. What works for you there, of course, some guidelines given by yoga and Ayurveda. If you're drawn to the, these sciences, there's so many books out there. Sometimes when I want to simplify it, we could say that there's there's food that really feeds your body mm -hmm. and of course you need to feed your body you need energy to to exist to move to do certain things in life but there's also food that feeds your mind feeding also meaning that in a way gives you energy and feeds your intellect feeds your we can say discernment that you see again, coming back to this ancient, what is real and what is unreal. Mm -hmm. So of course, it's very important that you choose quality food. You're um, sensitive to where that food comes from. You eat according to season. You eat when you're hungry. I think it's so important these days because we're programmed to eat constantly. If you look at um, commercials, we need to eat, 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 eat all the time. So I think it's also through practice we develop that you could say... Um, Mindfulness. Mindfulness, but also self-control. You know, eat only when you're hungry. Why do you need to eat if your belly's already full, right? That's really mindfulness, catching yourself in that moment when you're about to pick up maybe chocolate or drink a beer just for nothing. Yoga helps us, or meditation reflection helps us to really be mindful in these moments when we just simply act because we're programmed to consume and eat. As a new Belgian, I want to say chocolate is not bad. Beer either, but right. Um, if you can drink it, but nothing is. I just, wanted, <laughs> I just wanted to add that that I ultimately nothing is right or wrong, and there is no ultimate truth. It's about again we come back to that about knowing yourself, listening to how the body reacts to certain food, listening to what you need on some days, what you don't necessarily need on some some other days, and also keeping an open mind and don't believe that because you have some values, this is the truth. <laughs> and trying to have like a one-size-fits-all diet, mm -hmm. it is 
total utopia in my opinion yeah so that's, yeah. that's the beauty of the ayurvedic lifestyle that it changes it changes according to season it changes according to your age what you do in life where you live that's the beautiful thing about the system that it's really based on a constant change in this universe and i think it's it, it's quite difficult to find a system that really embraces change if you are interested in looking at a list and seeing what yogis um ate four or five hundred years ago there's a nice list of what you should and shouldn't mm -hmm. eat in the um hatha yoga pradipika <clears throat> But I like what you said, Robbie. I mean, it, it, it really was teaching people who lived in India to, I mean, it was pretty sensible in that, you know, eat seasonally, but also, you know, reheated food was not good for you in those days. And of course it wasn't because if you reheated food from yesterday that hadn't been in the fridge, it was yeah. probably going to make you sick. Whereas today that's going <clears throat> to be um, different. So we shouldn't take what's in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika as the gospel or the only thing that's right as as, mm -hmm. as colin said um it's a truth it's not the truth and we have to bear in mind that you know um here eating seasonally in the winter is going to be pretty boring and indeed <laughs> um, and indeed before the potato arrived in belgium we'd just be eating cabbages and brussels sprouts and that isn't necessarily healthy either I think nowadays the basics of nutrition are understood, right? And I think that there is a role um, for science and the stuff you learn at school to help you to help you understand what is good nutrition generally and what's good nutrition for you. And also, you talked about you know why why would you eat when your belly is full? Again, Hatha Yoga Pradipika gives you a nice formula, you know, fill your stomach half full with food, one quarter with liquid mm. and one quarter empty so that everything can move around easily and mm. be properly digested. And that's probably, that's probably good advice even today. Colin, the other thing that yoga has something to say and that we, and that we should talk about in a modern context, because we already have a little bit. And uh, the other thing that we use with our bodies and that can have effects on our body and our mind, drugs. So we don't need to talk about, you know, heavy, heavy drugs. There are yogis who don't drink tea and coffee. I remember going on a retreat hundreds of years ago and we were only given, the only hot drinks we were given were herbal teas by the woman who ran the retreat and like she picked them from her garden. And actually they were lovely, but I was in a place where the subtle goodness of whatever she was giving us just wasn't working on me in comparison to a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, which is what I really wanted. Well, after that, I guess it depends on your definition of drugs. No, because the, indeed, the, like there's drug a sign be... <laughs> Caffeine is a drug. Okay, that that the 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 medical world will tell you that alcohol is a drug, as well as what will other things um, people might have come into contact with that are fairly, you know, that are used a lot weed. nowadays. Weed, yes. Okay, what does yoga have to say about weed, Colin? <laughs> about weed, about weed specifically, I don't know. I think yoga is trying to. Uh, invite people to minimize the intake of anything that can affect your body in any way so all those drugs that's why i think most of the yogis try to step away from caffeine or like at least again it, but it's gonna come back to my personal opinion about it it's 
about being mindful. We all know that if you only drink coffee during your day, you might be a little bit nervous at night and not have a, such a good sleep. And especially if you work on being more aware of the, the influence of, of what you take on your body and on your mind, you might see that more. Same goes with alcohol, same goes with with weed. I mean, like it's, it is kind of a, for a fact that if you smoke every day, you'll probably be a little bit more lethargic lethargic if you drink every day you might have other problem and it's without even talking about the physical problem that can come with that come with with addictions ultimately we want to step away from those addictions to to clear the body and ultimately clear the mind because yeah. all these create a cloud that that doesn't help to 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 see this uh, this discernment to to ultimately see that we are one and and that yeah. we are all together i think If it happens every now and then, why not? That's my personal feeling. It is just about if you do it, just try to understand why probably the reason behind. Again, try to work on yourself without doing it blindly or just out of a habit. I think it's uh, it's about being aware, being conscious, being mindful. We've done a workshop a couple of, I think probably a couple of years ago about mindful eating. And it was also just interesting to see that You can define five, I think it was five different kind of hunger, mm -hmm. whether it was a physical one, a mental one, a sort of addict, addictive one, because you're just used to do something that you, you're going to feel hungry for that. And I think the same goes with the drugs. I mean, like, are you doing this because you're addicted? Are you doing this because you want to relax? Are you doing this just because you want to feel a little bit more awake and have your shot of caffeine in the morning? And once you get more conscious about that, then maybe... If you have the feeling that you're taking too much coffee, maybe try to maybe have a cup of rooibos or another kind of thing that can can give you another kind of kick. And and you might even open your perspective. And it's it's like food. I mean, like if you only eat the same thing one day, if you want to maybe try a different kind of recipe with different kind of ingredient, you talked about eating seasonal. I think if you really try to do that by the book, you might discover that there are actually plenty of things that you can eat during the winter. And expand your vocabulary in terms of of cooking and i think that's the beauty of just being mindful of yep. our of our behaviors i think that's all sage advice my reflections on this are that um what i'm learning in or learning through yoga is that with most things in and of themselves they are not good or bad they just are mm -hmm. Um, but they can be used in good or bad ways. And I think that there is a there, there's a place for all of these things. Maybe maybe they're therapeutic. There was a point in my life where I drank too too much coffee and I changed that. But I do love to have a cup of coffee before my asana practice in the morning and my asana practice rocks. And um, the, <laughs> the times when I don't do it or can't do it, it still rocks. So um, I think that it's it's something that we that we need to think about personally, and maybe the most important thing is not to judge other people and how how they might be uh, eating or consuming, or 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 if you if, or if you think that they're just you know a, a a bunch of addictions because they drink coffee in the morning to wake up and um, and have a beer in the evening to to go to sleep. I think it's also important to recognize, and we're recognizing um, nowadays, that there are some insidious addictions that the whole of society is suffering from that are far more dangerous than... than a cup of coffee. 
or 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 a spliff and that it's sugar the consumption of sugar is costing society and individuals a lot of a, a lot of money and health and well-being um, the consumption of salt is the same and we could we could go further down that road but Robbie wanted to add something my experience on 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 the spiritual practice if i look at my own spiritual practice that yeah we can read a lot about diet nutrition healthy living but if you have a if you have a spiritual practice that is let's say it's 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 very open minded not really judgmental curious then i think with time as you remain committed on your path some of these things will be natural you don't even need to think about not smoking or not drinking because it just your body will simply not accept these substances anymore or let's say you pick up a cigarette it would just not be nice and maybe you smoke it but the next day you remember why you don't want to smoke again i think it's just something you're going to feel it more yeah i think also also with your with with that practice you become much more sensitive and that comes back to the subtle body that you're more in tune with that connection with that inner body and and you know that whatever you put in your body not only the the physical substances but also um, the people that you surround yourself with will affect your mind so you'll be much more sensitive to where you live of course what you put in your body the, the the job that you do the physical exercise or the exercises that you do and this is all natural it's just you could say it's a side effect the positive side effect of your spiritual practice that you become much more sensitive to these subtle forces before we close i do want to talk about the obvious aspect which at the beginning of the show we said we were going to sort of avoid and that is the way I want to look at it is sort of like balancing the idea of self-esteem, self-image, and understanding the role of the body in in your life and in your spiritual progression. Do you think that following a spiritual practice, but specifically following yoga, not just asana practice, is that a way that people who have uh, who have body image issues or suffer from low self-esteem related to the way that they look or feel or or how other people might um uh, see their bodies in your experience you know does yoga have a role to play to help people kind of balance all of that stuff out and be more happy with what they are and who they are and how they look right now Ideally, I, w- I want to say ideally, yes. I'm also realistic. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not the best person to talk about it because even though I had body issues like most of people, I also realize that I'm still kind of accepted for the body that I have in the society and the culture we live today, which is kind of harsh and and is quick to judge people for how they look like. Mm. So in that aspect... I don't feel genuine answering or making it a, a general answer that fits for everybody. Not on a personal level. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like it, it, it helped to feel more present in my own body. It helped me to move forward with it. Yeah, for sure. Yoga can be very powerful. But it's also very important to to find the right teachers, the right school that doesn't really celebrates or worships a certain body type 
you need to find a teacher who is beyond this illusion of chasing perfection or that physical beauty, which of course physical beauty exists, but we shouldn't really spend our entire life to to look really gorgeous. Of course, it's nice to be very attractive. The more energy you put in there, I think also with time, the more you suffer. As you also said, it, there's going to be a day when you're starting to decay. You know, when we look back, mm. all the biggest beauties, males, females, you know, they lost it one day. So it's just something that yoga will help us to to make peace, create acceptance, which is also it's 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 an important practice to to cultivate acceptance, acceptance of change, acceptance of transformation that the body will transform but it's not a bad thing it just opens new doors new ways to perceive reality and we shouldn't really go against that sometimes yeah it's nice to slow it down we can use yoga to slow down aging we can choose the right diet you can still be very um, let's say young looking and healthy looking even when you're 60, 70, 80, most of my teachers I met, they still look amazing. If that's your purpose, yeah, of course, yoga will help you to, to look young, to look healthy, to maintain a healthy body. But again, you also need to spend some time on, on, on studying, examining the permanent versus impermanent. And that's basically, I think the, the we always come back to that, the fundamental teaching of yoga, what is real and what is unreal. And in the end, no matter how much you feel your body is real right now, at one point it's going to be unreal. It's going to not be there anymore, right? Which is where we started. You have anything further to add? And just it's it's probably that it goes hand in hand. It's as you as you work on that. I like that. Maybe that's the beauty of yoga that it it embraces all those aspects together versus just taking everything individually. Then you can try to have a broader spectrum and and work on on different areas at the same time. And indeed, working on accepting your limitations, whatever they are, I think it's it's helping to to move forward. And that I I, I do believe also for seeing it for myself, but also other people that. Indeed, as you age, you're going to probably learn, as you mentioned it also, your practice will change because you, you will act differently. You'll probably also being more show some more self-respect mm -hmm. on, on, on your own. And to also bounce back at, we say, at what you said in the beginning is that, yes, we, we're all going to die. We all, our body <laughs> is going to disappear. And maybe that's what make the body perfect in its imperfection because as our body is imperfect at the beginning and goes more and more imperfect as we age it teaches us something and when we disappear maybe we'll be a little bit better with it we'll we'll accept it a little bit better and altogether yoga is about death yoga is about like <laughs> we had this conversation yeah. already and <clears throat> so it is it is the ultimate samadhi you. exactly so it is ultimately the, the progression there yeah or i think it's just maybe yoga is really the practice of transformation the transformation of energy death is just you know a simple portal a gate that leads to something else one last thought before i ask you to say goodbye and i think it's uh i would like to say that you know if you come to yoga because you see someone on instagram 
um, doing something fantastic. It's okay if you come to yoga for the asana practice, but try to stay for everything else. And on that note, <laughs> it's goodbye from Colin. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. That was Roby. Um, and goodbye from me. And you will be able to listen to us again in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.